Now more with Frank Gaffney. We're back and joined by former Assistant Secretary of State Robert Charles, a man we have the privilege of consulting with from time to time, drawing on his experience as a former naval intelligence officer, as a counsel in the White Houses of Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush, as well as um, his stint as the Assistant Secretary for Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs in the State Department of George W. Bush. Um, he is a, an extraordinarily prolific commentator, uh, notably for the Association of Mature American Citizens, a terrific organization for whom he is a spokesman. He is also the author of Eagles and Evergreens, a great read, and we're always delighted to have a chance to visit with him. Bobby? Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much, Frank. I'd like to start with your perspective, uh, particularly given your time in senior U.S. government positions, notably the White House, concerning what is being done increasingly, it seems, by the Biden team in various ways, uh, but perhaps most dramatically and most recently by Merrick Garland, the uh, Attorney General of the United States, to deem individuals, parents in this case, who are decrying the so-called critical race theory training in American public schools as potential domestic terrorists. What do you make of this, uh, Bobby, in terms of, well, the law for one thing, but also for its implications for freedom of speech and for our country more generally as a constitutional republic. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, Frank, I, I read that story. I've read it in several locations. I've read his direct quotes, and I find it more than untoward. It really is, uh, it strikes me as really anti-constitutional, I mean, on many levels. So we start out with the fact that school boards are local, and so that the federal government really has no role, should have no role in managing a school board. Uh, it, then you move to the idea that you're you're literally using the power and the force and the coercion of the federal government to chill people's speech. You're 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 trying to intimidate them into not speaking, which is which is really again antithetical constitutionally to our First Amendment and the intent and the legislative intent and all of the thinking that has ever gone in uh, to the way that the First Amendment works. Then you've sort of created a false story all over again by taking apparently a couple of instances where parents got sufficiently upset that they said something and created out of that a national crisis that relates to deploying federal resources against state state uh, against parents uh, for purposes of defending their children's education. Then you go to the level of, uh, of really an intrusion into the family and the idea that the family uh, has the right to uh, you know, decide religious issues, decide issues tied to education. I mean, I, I wonder what this means for their uh, potential looming attack on, on uh, homeschooling. I mean, to me, I don't understand, unless you are intentionally abusing the powers of the federal government to suppress speech or to intimidate speech, which it, which it looks like they may be trying to do, uh, that makes no sense at all, particularly against the backdrop of 2020, in which you saw uh, just a stand down across the United States when 200 cities essentially blew up and were burned and, and, and businesses, including particularly minority businesses, were so badly affected. So this is an attack on the First Amendment, on free speech, on the family, on the local control over education. Uh, and I, I don't understand it. I mean, Frank, uh, if I to the extent that I understand it, I understand it as an intentional offense 
which I think uh, cannot stand. And I, and I have to believe that when challenged, uh, and, and perhaps it will be challenged uh, in, in, in ways that require some sort of immediate ruling, I have to believe that any court looking at the United States Constitution would not, would not permit this kind of overreach. I hope you're right that this will be challenged in court and it will be you know, struck down uh, post-haste, but it, it is chilling, no doubt about it. Go ahead. I'll add one last you know, point, and that is that you know, whether you are reading Plato's Republic or whether you're reading uh, the Communist Manifesto, the idea that you centralize all power and, and, and use and essentially an elite uses power to suppress uh, the larger individual, uh, the, the capacity for individual will, uh, that to me looks like really the unifying, uh, in all the wrecking operations you're talking about, what you're really doing is taking power away from individuals, families, cities, towns, and states in order to centralize it in a federal government. And that is scary. Yeah. yeah well, it's a Marxist revolution, I think, is uh, what the ultimate objective is. But um, in the meantime, it, it's in the destruction phase for sure. Um, Bobby, let me just turn to China, which is, of course, uh, the existential threat to freedom external to our borders, um, though its involvement inside our country, its influence operations is, uh, of course, very much a problem here too. But talk us through, you've done a piece at amac.us in which you describe China as stumbling. And I want to tease out what you mean by that and then examine what the implications of uh, that might be if it's true. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, so it's it's completely fitting, of course, that when we talk about centralization of power, both politically and economically, that we turn our attention and militarily to, but but that's to be expected, to China. And, uh, you know, what, what what's happening here, and you can, you can read it anywhere you want to look, you can read it at, you know, The Economist or The Wall Street Journal, The Business Insider. What you're seeing is that several things are are overlapping one another, if you will, cresting waves, and they do have implications for security. Uh, one of the waves is that since 2008, China has taken on almost twice the debt that they previously had. The second is that their energy sector is beginning to stumble with, uh, I think there are 19 provinces now that are getting in it intermittent or power, power cuts and breaks. Uh, and there's a broader concern that, that their industries, particularly related to energy, which is, of course, central to every other sector, um, are are in many ways falling to the natural, just as the Soviet Union uh, did, to the natural outcome of a command and control economy. In other words, in a market economy, you have billions of decisions made by millions of people that immediately create a, a supply and demand uh, ebb and flow. In a command and control economy, which is which is dominated from the center, you don't get that flexibility or nimbleness. So we can be in terrible debt, and we are. Uh, and we we have the power as people to get our members of Congress to uh, stop spending, to uh, lower the debt ceiling, to address the debt, to uh, cut programs, uh, et cetera. But that's not what happens in a communist-controlled country. And so as a result, they're, they're both rigid and they're also stumbling economically. My biggest concern is that as they slow down, and you even have articles written in places like Foreign Affairs saying this is the end of China's rise, as they slow, and, it could, and it's happening pretty quickly, what you're going to see is a, it's like a cornered animal, a desperate, uh, a desperate animal in the form of President Xi, uh, 
I mean, potentially turning on Taiwan, potentially turning on internally, uh, but also turning externally and, and utilizing this moment of Biden weakness and perceived American indifference or weakness, or, or I could use even more colorful words, uh, that uh, to take advantage of this moment and to, to do some real harm to Western values and to countries like Taiwan. Well, let me just say, I hope it's the case that we can exercise pressure on our elected representatives to cut spending and reduce the deficit and debt and so on. <laughs> I'm not sure in practice uh, that's what's going to happen here either, but, but you're certainly right that um, there's, no, there's no break on it in China. And we're watching uh, this meltdown of uh, their real estate you know, uh, market, for example, and uh, the financial sector is, is being uh, um, put into tremendous turmoil by decisions being made by the center, by the party, by Xi Jinping, it seems, himself. Um, and it does raise this question of, of what I guess has been called historically social engineering by a totalitarian to get them out of a a, a sticky wicket, as the Brits say, a, a difficult place uh, by conjuring up or or creating out of whole cloth uh, a a foreign adversary or a foreign threat, and um, you know justifying oppression of their own people as what must be done for the national good in the face of this uh, dire circumstance. And Bobby, I just I, I guess I would say when you look at what she is now incessantly propagandizing his people with, which is essentially uh, hectoring to prepare for war, um, that may well be what's uh, underway. And, and Taiwan may be the immediate focus of it, but I'm not sure that's the full extent of it. What are your thoughts on the current threats to Taiwan and uh, whether um, that may be just part of a larger campaign? Well, you know, the natural course of events is to look at things in a binary way and, and to imagine that we can look at it and find a linear connection. I think it may be difficult to disentangle the internal propaganda piece of this and the genuine threat to the external world, including and perhaps even starting with Taiwan or, or some of the other islands that are nearby uh, that are under contest or potentially more aggressive actions in Hong Kong. But the, the difficulty is, I mean, having spent time in, a, in an earlier day in the Soviet Union, uh, when it was the Soviet Union, in Soviet-dominated Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Yugoslavia, East Germany, what you find, uh, not only, I mean, this is a very tying together piece of this conversation, because not only do you find suppression of uh, liberties as they're associated domestically with things like education and, and uh, being free from police uh, uh, overreach, but uh, they propagate, and I have a lot of their old propaganda, they propagate the idea that they were at war, at war with someone, they were at war with us. Uh, we always referred to it as the Cold War, but they, they, they put themselves in a position of imminent, believing that they were under imminent threat, which was one of the justifications they used for suppression of all human rights in terms. Well, China has long suppressed uh, human rights internally, uh, and and they are ramping up their propaganda internally. The idea that uh, that they've got some sort of a, a global destiny for domination, and that uh, we're in their way. So yes, to both. But I think that it's difficult because you have to just try to disentangle the propaganda they're using internally to control their own their own people, uh, and in this instance, to perhaps even begin explaining away disintegration in the financial, real estate, energy sectors, and debt. And at the same time, uh, you have to be aware that they, they have the capacity to do real damage in the world. And so uh, they, they seem to blunder sometimes into very hostile actions. And I, I would hate to see that happen. Well, this is of particular concern at the moment where it may be that uh, 
the kind of aggressive behavior they're engaged in will translate into uh, an accident rather than conflict by design. Uh, but either way, it, it could uh, very easily ratchet to uh, extremely violent and dangerous proportions. Um, one other piece of this, Bobby, drawing on your experience with these various uh, totalitarian operations uh, during the Cold War and, and now uh, looking at China, uh, that I find very worrying in terms of specifically the possibility that, uh, as we were talking about a moment ago, um, some of this is leaching into our own society. Um, and I'm thinking in particular of uh, the so-called social credit system of China and the aggregation of extraordinary amounts of personal data and other information that is widely available to, for example, the social media tech giants in this country. Um, but uh, once there is a well, so-called vaccine passport platform that could be used um, to take your, your personal health information and uh, combine it with that other data about where you work, where you live, you know, what you buy, what you eat, who you speak to, what you say when you speak to them, and all the rest, uh, you could get very quickly um, in the hands of a government that wished to exploit this for purposes that are not only enforcing vaccine mandates, perhaps, but in other ways controlling the population. Again, something that might well be what Marxist revolutionaries or um, wrecking operations have in mind, uh, imposed in our own country as well. Should we be concerned about that? Absolutely, we should be concerned about that, Frank. Uh, aggregation of power uh, begins with aggregation of information. And um, when you can get private information and use it for intimidation and use it for control of someone's health and welfare, uh, never mind their personal security or, or their job security. All of that is why Americans have always, I mean, go back to the beginning and come right up to the, the near present. We have always uh, been very um, um, cynical or critical or uh, suspicious of any aggregation of information that's private by the government. So, uh, you know, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to understand that, uh, go back to you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Or, or Edmund Burke, who separately said, uh, "All it takes for good for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing." You, you must protect your own your own information and your own family's information and your own security, and and that's why America works, by the way, because we believe in the idea that everyone has control over their own rights and their own family information, their own everything about your life is a decision set that is made by you, and with very limited uh, government guardrails. That's why we call it limited government in, in order to protect uh, uh, ordered liberty. Uh, but but we don't we don't get into the business of centralizing power in order to control people. And and so I am concerned about it. And I think that that you know as you mentioned a moment ago about China, sometimes you can you can back into a hot fire. You can you can accidentally stumble into uh, a situation where you wake up and say, Hey, wait a minute! I didn't think you were going to use that information for that purpose, or I didn't think I was going to lose that opportunity. So uh, yeah, I am suspicious and I'm naturally uh, of the view that government should be limited and I think we should all be of that view and I think we should go back and look a little bit at history just even the last hundred years history and understand that there has been a, a an accelerating trend line to the aggregation of power at the federal level and we need to resist that in the same way uh, that people like Ronald Reagan and Russell Kirk and uh, you know Bill Buckley and all kinds of other people made clear that 
aggregation of power is dangerous, and we don't want that. Well, the thing has been made more complicated because essentially all of that information that you were just describing, we are reluctant to have in the hands of an overreaching government, is in the hands of people who are perfectly prepared to work with that overreaching government, it seems, in the uh, in the social media space. And so um, we may be farther down this road than most of us uh, appreciate, and uh, it makes your admonitions all the more important. Um, Bobby, let me very quickly just ask you, because I know you've spent a lot of time on it, both in government and out. Um, the current state of our border has become even worse than it was the last time we visited with you, which was a short while ago. There's now talk about having uh, an influx of 400,000 people headed our way uh, at this moment, um, and and essentially nothing to prevent them from gaining entrance to our country. Uh, just a quick word on where we are in this regard and, and what we best be doing about it right quick. Yeah, the nutshell version is that we're at an unprecedented place in terms of abdication of uh, the proper authority of a federal government, which is to protect those inside against events and, and threats from outside, and in particular to protect the sovereignty of the country. Uh, what I think is going to happen is that lawsuits that were once thought dead are going to come back. There's going to be, a, a, I think, a run to the Supreme Court to try to uh, establish a greater degree of order down there. And I, I guess my greatest fear is that if this administration doesn't wake up and, and smell the coffee and understand that you, you have a genuine obligation to protect Americans at the southwest border, then you're going to see state governors with uh, all kinds of resources and perhaps even citizen groups begin to start to do that. And that, that amounts to a writ large version of vigilante justice. And that's not a good thing because it leads to uh, a sort of escalating violence. And I, you know, my, my argument is, you know, again, it's Edmund Burke all over again. It's, it's if you don't, uh, if, if, you know, good people, including those in government, need to say, hey, this is enough. This is enough. We have to protect that border. You've got 85,000 uh, Haitians and you've got, you know, you've got you've got basically both public health and public safety issues at work there. And uh, abdication of responsibility is, uh, you know, to me, this is this is this is at a level we've never seen before. Correct. Robert Charles, on that, we have to leave it. Thank you for your service to our country, my friend, um, in uniform. Uh, and the civilian side of the house, as well as uh, that you're rendering at the Association for Mature American Citizens these days. We look forward to our next visit. Thanks for joining us today. Next up, I believe we'll be speaking with Lieutenant General William Jerry Boykin about the state of our military and the dangers we're facing externally and internally. That and more, straight ahead.